0: morning I'll be reading from the book of John chapter 21 verses 1 through 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, Then the disciple from Jesus, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead.
1: Good morning. I am Bethany Givens 4. I'm an elder here at WCF. Friends, this has been a hard week for us. This morning at the forefront of our hearts is grief for the loss of Evan and our love for Pastor Andrew and Julia and Ashley. When I experience seasons of grief and confusion, I turn to stories in scripture and I find myself In those stories i meet jesus in my story in those stories and so that's what i offer this morning i offer an invitation for you to come with me into today's scripture story so first let's pray oh lord we bring to you what we have to bring today take and receive it you have given all to us and we return it to you Give us only your love and your grace. That's enough for us. Amen. So, <clears throat> growing up, pretty much all of my family vacations were camping trips. In a family of six kids on one teacher's salary, camping was really the only affordable way we were going to vacation. I have, oh, so many epic epic camping stories but there's this one family camping trip that I remember Um, I think we'd been camping about two weeks when at the end of the trip that the very last night before we were going to pack up and drive home it just poured that night it rained all night and so we were going to be packing up our site with everything just wet And we had one of those, you know, big old tents that fit all of us in it. I think there were four kids at the time, and I think maybe a cousin along and my parents. Um, But you know, it was an old tent and only kind of waterproof. And so by the morning, the edges of the tent were all like just pools of water. And we were sleeping in the middle of the tent, so we were decently dry. But our bags with our clothes in them were kept around the edges and they were just drenched but if many of you probably know packing up wet is just the reality of camping sometimes so that morning my parents and the older kids woke up got a campfire going and started getting things ready now i was the youngest at the time i think i was four years old and um, i was a really good deep sleeper as a kid, a trait I did not pass on to my child. Um, So I actually, I was still sleeping in the tent. And my family decided, let's just let Bethany sleep as long as she can. At some point while they were packing, uh, my dad had a brilliant idea. He found my soaking wet jeans in the tent, and he thought, I know what I'm going to do. We've got a fire going. I think we could get Bethany's pants dry and even warm for her by the time she wakes up. This was how they wanted to love and care for me. Let me sleep. Let me wake up to dry, warm clothes. So they laid the pants near the fire and it was all going brilliantly until someone noticed a strange smell and sure enough there were big holes in my jeans where it had gotten so hot that the material just kind of like melted away. And so instead of waking up to warm, dry jeans that morning, I woke up uh, on a cold, damp morning to singed jeans with holes in the leg. I think I actually still wore them that day. Like I think that was my only pair on the trip. I was asking my dad for some of the details of the trip. I couldn't remember how old I was when uh, this had happened. And he said he'd totally forgotten the story. Um, but even though I was only four, I have not forgotten. It was, it was burned into my memory, pun intended. Um, but you know, those jeans with all of the holes were made that way out of a lot of love and care. You know, it's probably because of all of these childhood camping trips that When I think about what it feels like to be loved and cared for, to have my needs attended to, I think of that feeling of waking up in a tent, maybe it's cold and damp, and then you hear the crackling of fire outside the tent. Maybe smell some smoke. Someone else is already awake before you. They've gotten the fire ready. And maybe you smell the coffee brewing or bacon cooking, and you know that when you step out into the chilly morning air, someone has made you breakfast. Someone has anticipated your needs. That, for me, just captures the feeling of being cared for. In our scripture today, we find some familiar characters being cared for around a sort of campfire. But first, let's set the scene. The story in John is in John 21. It's one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus that is recounted in the Gospel of John. I'm a context person. I really like to understand everything in context. So in the Gospel of John, this story that we heard today comes right after the chapter where this happens all in one chapter of John. um, The woman find the empty tomb, resurrected jesus first appears to mary magdalene then on that same day that evening jesus appears to the disciples who are in a locked room and then one week later jesus again appears to the disciples who are again in a locked room but this time thomas who was not present before is present and he touches Uh, jesus invites him to touch his pierced hands and side okay so that is the week that has happened just before this story in the narrative. And then, of course, before that week of first resurrection sightings were three intense days of trauma. They witnessed the arrest, beating, and death of their friend and rabbi. They lived for days with the grief of his loss. They wrestled with what they had done and what they had not done. Everything that their life had been devoted to for the three years leading up to this was turned upside down in the matter of a day. So I think we can assume that just one week out, these disciples of Jesus are still pretty exhausted, probably both physically and emotionally, and they're confused. They they still have no idea what the future holds for them. Yes, this is post-resurrection, Jesus isn't dead anymore, but they are confused. They are disoriented. Jesus appeared to them in the upper room. Thomas has touched his hands inside, but things are weird. I mean, he's like appearing, disappearing, and then there's a whole week before he appears again. He's walking through locked doors. It's confusing. I find it comforting to know that even for them who saw and touched the risen Jesus with their own eyes and hands, um, the knowledge of the resurrection, even the firsthand knowledge of resurrection, doesn't take away their confusion doesn't immediately heal their pain i find it comforting to remember for those of us who live our whole story on this side of the resurrection um, that we're not the only ones Um, no matter how much we might know of jesus of resurrection hope we cannot escape the experiences of grief and confusion and pain in the here and now in times of disorientation we sometimes wonder is this the end Maybe that's what the disciples were feeling that day. They just didn't know what to do. So they just did the thing that was second nature to many of them, they go fishing. They spent the night out on the sea in a fishing boat. So we know that our senses, especially smell, are connected to memory recall. So I wonder what memories the sensory input of that night might have brought up for them. I just imagine that as the hours passed that night, they were thinking of other times that they had known similar smells, sounds, and physical sensations. How many memories did they have of times when they had been in a boat like this on the water with Jesus? And of course, as the night continues and they struggle to catch anything, how could Peter not be thinking of that day, only three years before, when his life changed forever after a similar night of fishing with no catch. The story is recounted in Luke chapter five, when after a frustrating night of catching no fish, Jesus tells Peter to put out his net once more and sure enough, the nets begin to break at the incredible number of fish that are caught. In a moment, Peter lets go of everything he had imagined his life would be to follow Jesus. So on the night of our story today, As hour after hour unfolds with no catch, empty nets, how could Peter not be thinking of that day three years earlier, so distant and yet so near, when overwhelmed by his own unworthiness, Jesus invited him to follow and become the fullness of himself. I wonder if they set out that night fishing, looking for comfort, looking for something that felt familiar, and normal in the midst of their world turned upside down. Yet, as morning, early morning light begins to break through the night, they find themselves not comforted. Rather, they're even more unsettled and weary than when they began. Going back to the familiar routine did not bring the healing they needed. And I also imagined they were hungry They might not have been intentionally fasting, but that's what was happening. They they were experiencing that kind of fasting hunger. So this is where they are at. It is this state that they are in when they hear a voice from the shore calling out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they reply. Standing on the shore is a figure, a man, but they do not recognize him. We who are reading the story, we get to know who it is. We get the insider information. It's Jesus. Jesus is standing on the shore. And I think John, our narrator, is inviting us to imagine the scene knowing this. So Jesus, standing on the shore, seeing his disciples, knowing that they have no fish, knowing that they are, what they are going through. And the disciples in the boat, on the sea, without Jesus— not knowing not seeing not recognizing that he is present this is a common motif in the post resurrection stories of jesus throughout the gospels jesus is present with those whom he loves before they are aware that it is he who is present jesus is present caring for his friends even when they cannot see him or recognize that it is he who is with them. Friends, I invite us to remember how common this is, this pattern. Even when we cannot see he is there, before our weary souls and our dulled senses can recognize and perceive him, the risen Jesus is already there, is here, present and caring for us. May we remember remember and pay attention to this in these days. But back to our disciple friends. The person on the shore who appears to be a stranger tells them to throw their net out again on the right side and they will find fish. And indeed they do. They cannot even haul the net into the boat. They end up dragging it behind, towing it into shore. It's so heavy. I don't know what the precise moment of recognition was for the disciples, but John is the first with the boldness to say it aloud. What I imagine they were all thinking at that point, it is the Lord. Peter, true to his character, runs to Jesus, or rather swims to Jesus. He grabs his outer garment and jumps off the side of the boat. I just love this image of Peter letting his impulse to get to Jesus take over, not holding back. Peter, I imagine, gets to shore first, although the others are not far behind, just 100 yards, but towing a really heavy load of fish. Um, I want to invite us to pause a moment and try to imagine the scene. They come to shore, and what hits their senses? They hear the sound of water lapping against the boat. The recently caught fish jumping around in the net. They hear crackles of a fire that has been burning already for a bit. I imagine they notice the smell of campfire smoke, such a distinctive and familiar smell. As they take steps toward Jesus, they feel weathered stones beneath their feet, sand sticking between their toes, water dripping down to their ankles. I mean, Peter would have been completely soaked with water after his swim, so I wonder if he felt chills with the morning breeze against his wet skin. I'm spending time with this just to help us remember that this was a full-bodied experience for them, not just a story written one-dimensionally on a manuscript. It was something that they had to, that they got to, live in their bodies. And with their eyes they see a small heap of burning coals. Now, I'm not a fire expert, but I do know that a campfire needs to have been burning for a while before the wood turns into coal. Or even if Jesus had started already with some coals on hand, it takes a while for the fire to heat enough to get to good cooking temperature. So I'm pretty sure that Jesus has been at this fire preparing for a while maybe a few hours. During that time that the disciples were out on their boat, catching nothing, I imagine Jesus was here on the shore, starting and tending to this fire, getting it ready for his friends. And resting on these coals, they see fish and some bread. And so we can also imagine that with their noses, they are smelling the aromas of what, for a group of fishermen, was probably their comfort food. I kind of imagine, kind of imagine that bread might have been a sort of flatbread that cooks over a fire, like a pita or a chapati. Um, bread and fish and Jesus. What memories might this sight bring to mind for them? I've got to think that their mind is flashing to previous time when Jesus took bread and fish, loaves and fish, and fed not only them, but a great multitude of hungry followers. In the Gospel of John, that story is told in chapter six. And of course, with their eyes now, they see Jesus. They perceive Jesus. I don't know all of what made him unrecognizable to them at first. Was it something in them that made their vision blurry, or was it something about him that made him appear differently from their expectations? John tells us that they dare not ask who he is, but that they also don't need to. They know, they know now that they are in the presence of their beloved friend. They are in the presence of the one who loves them, who loved them, to the grave and back. Come and have breakfast. Jesus invites them to gather. I imagine them coming around and sitting by him. And then he serves them. Jesus takes the bread and gives it to them. He takes the fish and gives it to them. He breaks their fast with the food that he has lovingly prepared for them. He offers nourishment for their body. He offers rest and presence for their soul. Now I just want to make sure we have this in perspective. This is Jesus, the one who calmed storms, walked on water, healed diseases, cast out demons, turned water into wine, overturned unjust tables, taught with authority like none other, the one who went from the cross to the grave and now is before them in resurrected power and glory. It is this Jesus who is over a little pile of coals, making and serving his friends breakfast. This is how Jesus chooses to show up to them in their place of disorientation and confusion. This is how Jesus wants to be with them. Throughout this passage, there are all of these allusions, all of these really not-so-subtle references to other stories in the Gospels, to things that would have been significant memories to these disciples. Jesus is reminding them of ways that he has been with them in the past. He is the one who called them, who has performed miracles, who has fed them. He is still the Jesus that they have known and loved, the Jesus who has known and loved them these years. He is giving them gentle embodied reminders of how he has cared for them in the past. He is helping them know in their mind, body, and soul that although he may appear different, although their world may feel turned upside down, although they have been through excruciating grief, the Jesus who has loved them, cared for them, and known them in the past is the same Jesus who loves them, cares for them, and knows them today and tomorrow and the next day. In the midst of pain and confusion, Jesus doesn't begin to help them make sense of everything that has happened. He doesn't give them answers to all of their hanging questions. In times of disorientation, we often grasp to try to make sense of things. And I know that often with time, God can bring, does bring a sort of understanding and peace. But let us never try to make sense of those things which ought never make sense. That's not what Jesus does. No, He meets them with love and care. He tenderly reminds them how he has cared for them in the past. He meets their practical needs. He feeds them breakfast. Friends, I wonder, this morning, what does Jesus want you to remember? Are there stories, times when you have experienced his love and care for you in the past, that Jesus is inviting you to remember, to bring to the forefront of your mind? How does Jesus want to remind you, remind us, that He will love and care for us today as He has loved and cared for us in the past? We're not going into the second half of John chapter 21 this morning, but I told you I really like context and understanding scripture in context. So I'll just point out what you may know. The very next thing that happens in this narrative is the story of Jesus's conversation with Peter, in particular, when he asked Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you really love me? It's a scene that is often understood as a moment of restoration for Peter, a commissioning into a new and even wider calling to feed, to care for Jesus's followers. So we can sneak preview, know that this is coming, that if Peter and the other disciples were wondering on the fishing boat, is this the end? Is this the end of their calling of this life with Jesus? The answer is no. When it seems like the end, Jesus offers a new beginning. But this morning, what I want us to notice is that before all of this, before Jesus offers restoration to Peter, before he commissions him into something new, he just eats breakfast with them. That is what they need in that moment, to know Jesus tenderly and practically loving and caring for them in that way oh friends how is jesus here wanting to be with us today how does jesus want to tenderly care for our wcf community in grief in a disorienting time can we pause and know jesus feeding us breakfast so I actually would like to take a few minutes right here and now um, to lead us into a space of receiving from Jesus through a little contemplative engagement with art. For those of you who are just listening to this sermon or have visual impairment, as we go through the reflection with this painting, I invite you to imagine in your head a scene of Jesus's friends gathered in a semicircle around a fire with bread and fish. Imagine Jesus offering these friends food to eat. This is an original work painted by my colleague, Grace Cho Hoover, who is the Regional Coordinator of Asian American Ministries for Mid-Atlantic InterVarsity. Grace worked on this sketch for, the sketch for this painting during a retreat I led on John 21, today's scripture. So first, just take a moment, take a breath, um, just a few breaths in and out. As you look at this image for the first time, take note of where your eyes are drawn to first and let them stay on that part of the picture for a little while. As you sit with it, notice what you feel in your body, what thoughts or feelings are brought up for you you're the kind of person who likes to jot things down, you can jot things down or just meditate on that. Now zoom out and look at the whole image. Let your eyes move around and take in different details of the picture. Notice, does something new stand out to you? You can write, you know, jot it down or just meditate on it. In this painting, Jesus, portrayed in the hat, is smaller than the rest of the people drawn. He almost looks like a kid. In her artist notes, Grace says that the passage made her ask, why didn't his friends recognize him? Did he look more youthful, disguised? Grace writes, in Asian American culture, there is a significance to our ages and how that sets group hierarchy. It is a deep sign of respect for those younger to serve those who are older. She also notes that the text lists seven disciples, indicating that there are two unnamed disciples in addition to the five who are named. And she chose to portray those two unnamed disciples as women. So now take a moment and just focus on the various people in the painting their expression, their posture. What do you notice about them? To whom are you drawn? And if you were in that scene, who might you be? Or who would you want to be in that scene? invite you to take a moment and become aware. Just bring your attention to Jesus's loving presence towards you right now. Is there something he wants to say to you? What kind of prayer rises within you as you ponder this picture? And go ahead and just take a moment, whatever prayer kind of prayer rises up in you, just take a moment to express that to God now. invite you to pray with me. Jesus, we need you to feed us breakfast. We need you to give us eyes to perceive and recognize you with us. We need each other. These days and weeks, would you give us the grace to remember who you are, how you are? Would you give us the presence to pause and know you, loving us caring for us, feeding us breakfast. Amen.